We are concluding a short series on the topic of Ruth that we started two weeks ago called Ruth, A Love Story. And we're excited about this time together. And um, what I want to do is just give you a little review because it's, it's kind of concluding today. The story of Ruth is the story of ancient Israel in the time when they, took, they had moved into the promised land and they were um, settling down and the judges were kind of ruling over the people of Israel before there were any kings in Israel. And during this time, in the city of Bethlehem, there was a couple whose name was Elimelech and Naomi. And Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem, left Israel, because there was a famine in the land. And so they left Israel and they went to uh, another country, the country of Moab. Now this was a very significant deal because... Uh, first of all, they had property. In fact, most people's wealth and well-being was, was measured by their property ownership. And so um, they were um, abandoning their land, basically, not harvesting it. They just left. And as they left uh, Israel and as they, um, you know, went to Moab, not only were they, you know, abandoning their property, which was, again, very important. And Israel, when they, when they took over the land, the land was given to different tribes or children of their patriarch Israel, and that land was supposed to stay within the tribe, and, and, you know, we'll talk about that momentarily, but it was a big deal for wealth and also for heritage reasons to, to keep your land. But they left uh, and went to Moab during a famine, and they stayed in Moab, and Moab was a, not a good place. We can read about how that affected the Israelites as they came to the promised land before, and they kind of left where they were to go to Moab during this famine. While they were there, the two sons, Elimelech and Naomi had two sons named Malon and Kilion. Malon and Kilion got married while they were in um, Israel, or while they were in Moab, to, to Moabite girls. And then in time, Elimelech, the father, the husband, he dies. And then after he dies, in the next 10 years, uh, Naomi's two sons also die. So she loses her sons and she loses her husband all in a 10-year period in this foreign land. And now Naomi's older. She has two daughters-in-law from Moab, and she decides, she hears rumor that Israel is now over the famine, that they're prospering again. She decides to go back home and be with her, her, you know, her extended family, her, her home. She tells her daughters-in-law, look, you girls should not go with me. I know what it's like to live far from home. You should stay here. The problem is the daughters-in-law, they know that she needs their help. Listen, in culture then, and it's so important to understand, in culture then, women just did not have the kind of rights. We're still, I think, in certain ways fighting for, uh, so many ways for, for women to get, you know, equal pay, you know, wave, page, I can't even talk, pay, wages, whatever the word may be. We're still fighting for certain things today. But, but even in parts of the world today, you know, women are treated as, a, as the second-class citizens. And in that culture, they just didn't have a lot of rights. Owning property was difficult, um, you know, voting. I didn't even vote back then. They didn't have democracy, but, you know, represent, being a witness on the stand. It was just a different world back then for women than it is today everywhere. And that was no different in Israel, ancient Israel. However, what we see today is a beautiful story in the middle of unideal circumstances. And so, you know, we're going to have to wade through the, the awkwardness of, of, you know, the gender roles, I think, a little bit here to appreciate something beautiful that happens in that context back then. So Naomi has, she's a widow. She has no process. She can't come back and take care of the land. 
uh, the widows were just pretty much poor and destitute unless they got remarried. And these girls who lost their husbands, Naomi's sons who died, these girls had chances in their country to maybe remarry at their age and maybe have kids one day. And a widow's biggest hope was remarriage and having children or having children before her husband died who could grow up and take care of her when she got older. And in this case, Naomi had no sons because her sons died as well as her husband. And she tells her daughters-in-law, you stay here and get help from your support network, your family, your, your, your from this area. I'll go home. I need you, but I'm releasing you from me because it's best for you, and I'll figure it out. But while one of the girls did turn back, the other girl named Ruth said to Naomi, I'm not leaving you. In fact, what she said to her was this, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will become my people. Your God will become my God. I will go where you go, live where you live, die where you die, and nothing but death will separate the two of us. I'm taking care of you. And so Naomi was selfless to, to set the girls free, though she needed help. And Ruth was selfless to say, I'll leave my home and go back to Israel with you, to Bethlehem, and I will take care of you because someone has to. So they come back to Bethlehem, and as we saw last week, Ruth began to go out into the fields and work because the, the most countries, including Israel, had customs in place and even laws in Israel that they were to leave the leftovers of their fields without pit going over them twice so that the poor of the land can come and harvest what they could find to have something to eat. And so Ruth goes out in the field so her mom, her mother-in-law can stay home as an older person. And she went out to, to work the fields to bring food back for them to eat. And she ends up in the field of a man whose name was Boaz. Boaz was a powerful, influential, wealthy man. He was also a relative of the family. He was a relative of her deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. Elimelech had, you know, that was, you know, Ruth married Elimelech and Naomi's son. Elimelech dies, their sons die. And Elimelech has a relative named Boaz, who's a powerful, influential, wealthy man. Ruth ends up in one of his fields looking for leftover grain and, and, you know, and crops during the barley harvest to, to feed herself and her mother-in-law. And Boaz happens to come by that field that day, sees her out there working behind the workers, and he asks who she is and finds out that it's the girl from Moab who came back and was taking care of his uh, deceased relative, Elimelech's wife, Naomi. And so Boaz pulls her aside and says, listen, I know what you're doing. You're an awesome, awesome person to come to this place and help Naomi. Stay in my fields. We'll take care of you. Don't go from field to field and look for scraps. And he began to feed her with the other employees that worked in his fields for the harvest. He began to tell his workers to leave large portions behind for her so that she had plenty. And he just really took care of her really well because she was taking care of her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Boaz appreciated that. Well, the story ends with Naomi and Ruth realizing that there's an open door for, for this to go even deeper. And to tell you that story today, I have to tell you a little bit of back history of Israel, Israeli law in the Old Testament. I'm not going to turn there for sake of time and because it might bore you. But if you want to write these references down and take them home with you, these are two ancient passages from the Pentateuch, which was the law that God gave Moses to give to the Israel as they formed their new nation to kind of govern themselves. And there's two passages that you should know and maybe read at home later on. They'll be on the screen here. It's Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. Now let me just tell you kind of what they say without turning there. In Leviticus 25 were laws that were given to deal with property ownership in Israel. 
the idea was that because the, the property was given to the different tribes of Israel and within the families within the tribes, they wanted to keep it that way. So if someone in Israel became poor and, and either lost their lands or, or, or became, you know, had to sell their land, there were laws given that they could get the land back. The way it worked was, first of all, every seventh year, the people of Israel were not to plant their fields. They were to let their crops take a rest. And the fields would maybe grow some crops without planting. And they could harvest that, that's fine. But they weren't supposed to give the land a break from tilling and planting every seventh year. Kind of like the seventh day of Sabbath was each week. So every seventh year, the land was left alone. And then after seven cycles of that, after 49 years, on the 50th year, they declared a year of jubilee. And during the year of jubilee, a lot of things happened. It began on the Day of Atonement, which is a holiday for them. And for that next year, during jubilee, they celebrated God's goodness and blessings on their land. And one of the things that they would do is if any property was sold by anybody who fell on hard times, their property would be given back to them in the year of jubilee. So if someone lost their land to default or to, you know, just falling on hard times, they would get their land back in the long run to keep within their family. And what this meant was when people were desperate and they sold their land, everyone purchased the land measuring it by how many years until Jubilee. Because basically when someone would buy their land, since it would go back to them eventually, they were basically buying it for a certain period of time and then giving it back during the Jubilee. Basically, they were buying it for a certain number of harvests, for a certain number of years to plant grain and harvest the land. So if, for example, the person fell on hard times and they were going to sell the land and it was 40 plus years till the next jubilee, they could sell it for more because there were more harvests to make money off that land. But if it was only like five years till the next jubilee, they would sell it for less because there was less upside to buy it when they'd have to give it back in five years. Do you see how that would work? It was all an attempt to leave the land in the, in the hands of the people it was given to. Now, that's ex explained in Leviticus 25. Also in Leviticus 25, if a, if, a per, if a family lost all the men in the family and they couldn't take care of the land anymore or, or everyone in the house died, the property would have to go to someone else. What they would do is they would uh, let the next nearest relative have the first rights to buy the land or the next relative after that. So at least kept it close to the family and never far away. Okay? Now, with that in mind, Deuteronomy 25 takes it a step further. And this is a really weird passage in today's culture, and I'm not even going to try to, you know, look, I wasn't alive back then, so it's just, it's, just in, it's information about how things were. So basically, um, because widows, especially because of the way that the, it was a man's world, because they were so destitute, and orphans were in trouble, one of the laws that the relatives had to do was to take care of the widows and the kids in their own family. And one of the best ways they would do this, the, 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 they would build the law that the brother, the nearest relative of the man who died, was responsible to marry his brother's widow. If she didn't have kids, he's, if she had children, she could be a widow and her children, if they're old enough, could take care of her. But if she didn't have kids yet, he'd marry her. And the first child she'd have amongst him, maybe his other wife, the first child she would have would not be considered his child, but his dead brother's child. And the dead brother would have an inheritance for his name. And this would be a child who not only would take care of his mother as she got older, but also be a child who would have the property rights handed down. So, the fa so when the, if the near relative purchased the land, when the jubilee came, he could give it back to the family years later, and that boy could be old enough to eventually take care of the land and, and carry on the family 
property rights. So the brother is supposed to marry, or the near relative would marry his dead brother's widow, and then the first child would be considered not his, but his dead brother's heritage. Okay, I'm just telling you how it was. Now, here's the crazy part. The law was that if the brother refused to do so, if the brother refused to marry his brother's widow and give her children in his brother's name, she could go to the town, to the courts, and to, the, to the government, basically, and say to the town, he won't marry me and give me a child from my, in his dead brother's name. And the, court, the, the town would call the man in and try and talk some sense into him. And if he still refused and says, I don't want to marry the girl, the custom was that she would remove the sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and say, this is what will happen to the man who refuses to raise up a generation for his deceased relative. And that was her custom. I'm just telling you how it was. Okay. So if you want to read more about that, it's a fun ride in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. You're welcome. Now, with that background, let's pick up the story today. In Ruth chapter 3, again, Ruth taking care of her mother-in-law, who is needing the help. Boaz, the near relative of her father-in-law who's dead, helping Ruth because Ruth is helping Naomi by taking care of her as she works in his fields. Ruth 3 verse 1, let's pick up the story there. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Because, hey, Ruth, you won't always be young and able to go work the fields. You'll be older like me someday. You won't always be old enough to have, able to have kids anymore. You need to figure out your future now and not just worry about me. Let me help you. So here's her plan based upon their customs. Verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. i got to pause here and remind you of something I said in week one. Don't Disney this story, okay? I know we like, like the Disney princess stories and stuff, and everything, and once upon a time, a beautiful young maiden in a fair land. You know, listen, we don't, Ruth, we, we, first of all, the Bible says nothing about, you know, it, like the TV tries to make people beautiful. There's nothing about how, who, her appearance. It says that she was a wonderful person inside because she came back as a foreigner in Israel and served her mother-in-law's needs. She's an awesome person. Boaz is not Prince Charming riding off on the white steed. He is older than her. He was her father-in-law's relative. But he was able to take care of her in a tough times. So there's, there's a need. There's a civil need here, but it's not... You know, we get, we get the wrong impression of what's happening. But, but Ruth is told by her mother-in-law, go to the barn. They're gonna, they've done harvested the, the, the grain from the fields. It's brought into the barn. They're going to finish the next process of getting the crops ready in the barn. Go there tonight. And here's what she wants her to do. Now do as I tell you, verse 3. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. I want to make a joke about that. Just, you know, always a good idea to do those things. Um, anyhow, but anyhow, yes, do, get ready. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. And then she says this, be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. Some would call that disgusting. Um, and he will tell you what to do. So what she's saying is this, look, this is, this is all in, important. Hide in the barn. Wait till they finish their food. Wait till he, they eat their food. 
Wait till he's drunk, done drinking. Make sure before it gets dark that you see where he lays down at. Sneak over there when it gets dark, lay at his feet, and basically you're offering yourself to him, not in that moment, but in, in the future to be a redeemer for the family inheritance, basically. So Ruth says to her, uh, she says to her in verse 5, I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. And that's how it went. So in the next few verses that we'll skip, Ruth did exactly that. She sneaks into the barn. She watches the meal. She watches the drinking. She waits till he goes he's down. She sneaks over in the dark. She lays at his feet. And at some point he wakes up. Have you ever woken up and wondering what's going on around you and it kind of freaks you out? Like you wake up in a strange place or even in your own bed but you think it's a strange place and you're like scared of where am I right now or what's going on? Or someone's nearby, who's, who's nearby? Especially maybe after a little bit of eating and drinking, who knows what he thought. But he wakes up and he's kind of shocked because he realizes there's a woman laying at his feet. That's the beginning of a horror movie in many places, I think. Anyhow, uh, verse 9, Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. What she's saying is you are one of those people by your laws who can redeem the property, redeem your brother's name and inheritance. You are able to raise up a child for him and, and, and basically save Naomi's family from losing everything through me. So she's basically inviting him to do the right thing or to do something very difficult for him, but right by Naomi and Ruth's family for her. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after young, a younger man, whether rich or poor. What he's saying is this, Ruth, when you came back with your mother-in-law, when you left your homeland to take care of this woman who needed help, a bit older than you, who is also a widow, and you're a widow, you're grieving your husband's loss too. When you came back with her and you've given your life to serve her and work in the fields, that was awesome. But Ruth, what you're doing right now is even more awesome. What you're doing now is you're showing family loyalty. You are willing to, to try to enter a relationship where the law can give a child and keep the property and Naomi's husband and sons who have dead to keep it in their family, and, and you're trying to do the right thing here. You are an awesome young woman, Ruth. And you could have gone after someone, you could have gone your own way. You could have found a younger man, rich or poor, but you're doing this instead. Kudos to you. Verse number 11. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in this town knows that you are a virtuous woman. Ruth had a reputation since she came here of being a virtuous, wonderful woman who took care of her, her, her mother-in-law and was just really highly regarded in Bethlehem. Verse 12, here comes the bad news. But, Boaz says, but while it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. In other words, he has first dibs on the property and everything. Verse 13, stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. <laughs> She's like, very well? What do you mean very well? I don't even know this guy, you know. This is awkward enough already. I mean, this, this is a deal where, you know, he's saying, hey, if the other guy will do this, great. But she knows Boaz has been there, and he's been generous, and he's been thoughtful and kind. This is, an, this is a curveball. 
There's another man who could have first claims to the situation. And he says, but if he was not willing to marry you, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. It was too dark for her to leave at that point of the night, in the middle of the night. Her phone, cell phone didn't have a flashlight app quite yet. So she just couldn't head home in the dark. And he tells her to lay there, and she does. And then, then before, it's too, before it's light yet, it's still in the dark, he reaches nearby and quietly gives her some food inside of a bag, uh, 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 a cloth. And he says, take this food home and leave while it's still dark so that when you're outside going home, as the light comes on, you can see your way home, but you leave here before someone knows you're here. Otherwise, that'll be scandalous. Like the, the Bethlehem Post will have article on the front page or something. So leave before it gets light here, but as it's getting light outside. She goes home, verse 16. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. And that is how chapter 3 ends. Them waiting to see if Boaz will take care of it, if this closer relative will take care of it, what's going to happen with Ruth next. Chapter 4, verse 1, let's finish the story in this chapter. Boaz went to the town gate, this is the next day, goes to the town gate, he took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer who he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. So picture this, he's sitting there. This closer relative walks by. Boaz calls him. They're outside Starbucks. They have tables sitting outside in the nice weather. Sit down, get a chai tea or a coffee or whatever you drink. Let's talk. They sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses, because that's how they did legal things at that time. They'd have witnesses watch what happened. Verse 3, Boaz said to the family redeemer, uh, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm the next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that, she, that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. In other words, what he's saying is this. It's not just Naomi who's too old to have kids and the property's going to go to somebody else. If you, re, if you buy the land is re, to keep it in the tribe, you got to do the thing about marrying Ruth, who can have a child, and do the whole thing about raising a child in her husband's name. And then the property goes back to them in the year of redemption. So you're basically buying it for a certain number of years and blah, blah, blah. And that changes everything. That changes everything when he said that. In verse number uh, six, he says, then I can't redeem it, the Redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. 
Now in those days, it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. <laughs> this publicly validated the transaction. I don't know what the whole thing was, people taking people's shoes off. But Joey would hate this, Jen, I'm pretty sure. Um, yay. So apparently, this is what he did. Verse 8, so the other family member, Redeemer, drew off his sandal, as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz, a picture he holds up the shoe probably, and he said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she could have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. And in the next couple of verses, the people were all like, yeah, standing ovation. They were happy. They said blessings to you, blessings upon uh, Ruth and you, and may, you, may your first child be a manly child or something, I don't know. But they, they wished a blessing over them all right then. Then in verse 13, it says this. So, Ruth, so Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. In other words, Naomi didn't have a son because her sons died to care for her as she got older. Ruth was doing that. But now this child could also help not just take care of Ruth, his mom, but take care of Naomi, his grandma, while she still lived as he grew up and got older and became responsible. And then they said, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Isn't that a compliment? Ruth, your daughter-in-law, loves you, and she has been better to you than seven sons. Which could be a pretty low bar, depending on the sons. Uh, she's been awesome. Ruth's been awesome for you. And what happens in the story is that Ruth, in coming to this new country to take care of her mother-in-law, Boaz, in looking at this young girl, and realizing that she was, they, were, they had no hope, and she could go off and marry somebody else, but that left Naomi out in the dark. Stepping up and, and taking Ruth and, and letting them have children and a family heritage the way that the laws worked. Both Ruth and Boaz were bringing redemption to Naomi's horrible story. Remember week one how bad that story was? Ruth and Boaz and their actions were bringing redemption. And it brings us to a point, if you were with us the last two weeks, you've heard us say over and over again statements about love. Love does this. Love is that. Let me give you another one. Love always seeks to redeem the relationship. And that's what Boaz was doing and Ruth in this story here today. And when you read the story of Ruth and Boaz, Naomi, Boaz is a picture in the, in the ancient Hebrew customs of what they would call a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. What is that? Kin being next of kin, the near relative who would step in and basically rescue the poverty and, and, or maybe the heritage, the family legacy of someone who, is, who fell in hard times. And, and Boaz was being a family, he was being the kinsman redeemer. And by doing so, he was picturing for all of us today the love that God has for you and me. Okay, this is pretty cool. Think about what Boaz did as kinsman redeemer, and we'll relate it to the gospel. Boaz, 
it was not his fault that Naomi was destitute. Naomi maybe probably should have never left Bethlehem in the first place with her husband to go to Moab. While she left and went to Moab, her husband died, her sons died. She came back wrecked by the choices they made. It wasn't Boaz's fault or his problem that Naomi was in trouble and destitute. But Boaz realized that she, they needed a rescue, they needed a help, they needed a redemption. Ruth was doing what she could do to help. And Boaz stepped in with the power to change everything and said, let me be the redeemer. And the gospel is so pictured there because what God did for us through Jesus is he provided us a kinsman redeemer. That God showed what, who he is, as John records elsewhere, that God is love. When God sent Jesus to be born among us, a flesh, a human, to live in our shoes, to walk in our shoes, to go to the cross, to die for his creation. What happens in the story of the gospel, and it's so beautiful, is that God did what Boaz did. God, did what, God was our kinsman redeemer through Jesus. Because what Jesus did is he stepped into our mess. It was not his fault. We've, made our, we've sinned, we've done our own thing, we've made our own decisions, we've harmed, we've brought harm to ourselves, to others, and to the heart of God. And in the, the mess of this world that, that our choices have brought us, that our sin has brought us, which by the way is a gift from God, creation is a gift from God, right? Uh, choice is a gift from God, but the consequences that come with that are not beautiful. We want the choice without the consequences, but we get both. And, and Jesus coming down and saying, look, you've made a mess and it's not my fault. But that's not, I, I can leave you to suffer and die without hope, without hope of heaven, without hope of eternal life, with the consequence of sin being death. But Jesus steps in and says, I will redeem your, your mess. And so on the cross, Jesus shows what forgiveness looks like. To bear the offenses, to bear the wrongs, to bring us back to God. And on the third day, he rose again to show us that death has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. And that life can be eternal with God forever. And that we can be restored to a relationship with God if we will just accept his open arms invitation that he made possible at his expense for us. The gospel is, it means good news. Gospel means good news. The good news, Jesus died, was buried, rose again. The good news really is that all that shows us is that God is love. God is love. And in love, he took us and our brokenness and said, I want to redeem you back to me. It's not my fault, but I love you and I want you back more than I want you to pay. And he redeems us to himself. That's the beautiful story of the gospel. Because why did Jesus do that for us? Why did God show us that kind of love? Because love always seeks to redeem the relationship. And let's be honest here for a minute. Apart from the gospel, we know how hard that is. We know how hard that is, don't we? I mean, mm, it's hard. It is hard, hard, hard to want to restore some and redeem relationships that hurt us. I've been in church world long enough to know something. There's a lot of us can sing the songs about grace and mercy and forgiveness, right? What we mean is grace and mercy and forgiveness for me and maybe for those other people that I don't really know that well who, like me, get the same thing. But if someone hurts me, someone offends my sensibility, someone crosses me wrong, I don't know that I, we're not very good sometimes at showing grace and mercy and forgiveness. Those principles don't always extend to those who need it most around us. And yet, that's what love does. 
That's why it's, that's why it's hard. That's why the cross was a big deal. Because if you think about what forgiveness really is, what Jesus really did was amazing. But love always seeks to redeem the relationship. And that's the gospel. That's our hope in Jesus. But we're not just called. I think the, the message of, the, of, of Christianity is twofold. Message one of Christianity is to put our faith and trust in the love of God. That he did that to redeem us to himself, to believe he loves us, to receive that love and put our faith in the gospel. That is our faith. But the other message is this, to also follow after Jesus, to, to walk in his steps, to take up his cross, to be his disciple. In other words, to love as he loved us. In fact, he even said, this is my new commandment for you, to love each other as I have loved you. So while we receive the gospel for ourselves, we are to turn around and practice the gospel to each other, to love and redeem the relationships around us, because love always seeks to redeem the relationship. And that's hard. It's messy. It doesn't mean the same thing across the board, but it means that we need to do our part to be the loving people that God has been to us, to believe that and to extend that. Anyhow, let's finish the chapter of Ruth. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and, when she, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. It's her grandson. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Someone you might have heard of before, David, right? as in shepherd boy David, as in King David of Israel, like the most famous person of Israel, David. This is his grand, great-grandma in the story. In fact, probably the reason the story of Ruth is so well-known to us is because David's famous and so his family story stands out. But let's be honest now, let's be honest. There would be no David, there would be no shepherd boy, there would be no King David if it wasn't for a Ruth following Naomi back to the Israel doing what's right by her, if there was no Boaz willing to step in and be the family redeemer to her desperation. If it wasn't for Ruth and Boaz, we'd have no David to celebrate. Because David was the son of Jesse, Jesse was the son of Obed, and Obed was the son of Ruth, or we might call him Baby Ruth. You're welcome for that. And so, as we leave today, before, when the service is over, we're going to have on the back table here a couple of boxes full of Baby Ruth candy bars. We want you to get one on your way out to remember the story by, because this is what we're talking about today, Baby Ruth, okay? Now, the story of Ruth is over, but what I want to do for you today is this. I want to tell you, don't miss next week. Because even though we're done with Ruth, there's a story that's that you may have never connected some dots. There's another story that it might just be like one of those, oh, wow, moments for everybody. It's incredible. It gives me goosebumps thinking about that story. We're going to call it Descendants. And I don't want you to miss next week.